We look to the cross, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Look to the cross, study the cross, and listen. And let the grace poured out relieve your every fear. Tonight as we look and listen this Friday evening, it's all good for our good. It was a miscarriage of justice. Anyone could see it. Anyone who had really been involved knew it. Jesus was wrongly betrayed, wrongly accused, wrongly condemned, and wrongly executed. There was nothing about this that was right. There was nothing about this that was justified. There was nothing about this that was good. Except for the good, it worked. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That describes us more than we know. Yes, we often know when we are doing wrong, but we have no idea how often we do wrong without knowing it. The sin in our lives is deeper and more hidden than we imagine. By nature, we are not only blind, dead, and enemies against God, but we are also in a state of rebellion. There is nothing earned about grace. Grace is good given at the expense of another. The Bible teaches without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Here tonight, we contemplate the shedding of blood. We consider the righteousness of God given for the unrighteousness of the human race. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is more than a pious wish. This is more than a have-a-good-day sentiment. For while Jesus looks out on the crowd, the Father looks down on the blood, trickling, dripping, even flowing down the face and the arms and the body of Jesus. And so his righteousness is satisfied. And with his righteousness satisfied, he does forgive. Here tonight is good for you. Forgiveness of your sin, known and unknown. There is good better, and best. This is better than merely good. The second word augurs not only well, but better. The thief asks to be remembered when Jesus returns in his kingdom. The thief, as a Jew, would have had some hope in the resurrection. This was true of Jews. They hoped in the resurrection, with the exception of the Sadducees. The hope of the resurrection of the dead is no late Christian invention. It is revealed in the hope of the impoverished Job, who said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh 
I shall see God. There was hope in a resurrection someday. But Jesus promises even more than he asked or hoped. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus promises him that even though both of their bodies would be in the grave by sundown, they will be together in paradise. This was even better than the good that the criminal requested. He wouldn't have to wait for that day. Jesus said, today. Our Christian hope contains an uninterrupted durability of existence. We will continue to be who we are even at death. While our bodies will rest for a time in the grave and await a physical resurrection, our spirit will be with Christ in paradise. Listen to the goodness of God, both in death and in life. He provides even more than all we ask or imagine. Families have two characteristics. They are both important and fragile. We need family. We need husbands and wives, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, cousins, and so on. They are important for socialization, for comfort and care. In families, we blossom and flourish. In families, we share both joys and sorrows. But family life is fragile. Families break. Families shatter. Strife, argument, estrangement, betrayal, jealousy, envy, distraction, death. Jesus provides for family. He says to John, behold your mother. He says to his mother, behold your son. He had raised the widow of Nain's son. He had restored Jairus' daughter. He gave Lazarus back to his sisters, Mary and Martha. We enter a holy time. We enter a holiday time. We enter a family time. How is your family? Strife? Argument? Estrangement? Betrayal? Jealousy? Envy? Distraction? Death? Entrusted to Jesus. He can bring healing, peace, hope. We see it that afternoon. Behold your mother. Behold your son. Jesus does not just love you. He loves yours. Let him. Let him bring new life and renewed relationship into your home through this Friday's goodness. Boy, it feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? It feels as though we have been abandoned by God. We may cry out with the words of David in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, 
but you do not answer, and by night, and I find no rest. How many times does it seem that your prayers fall on deaf ears? How often have you looked for help from God only to find that He doesn't seem to be found? Have you ever come to the precipice of concluding that the promises of God are as hollow as the claims of the latest vitamin or beauty product or nutritional supplement? God's not here. Maybe He never was. And if He once was, He's gone now. I am forsaken. Feel forsaken? Look forsaken? Good news. Look to the cross. Feel that agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is no question. It is a quotation and more. Jesus not only quotes Psalm 22, he lives it. Or better, he dies it. That word continues as it describes Jesus. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. We see and hear Jesus forsaken by God. Not good for him, but good news for us. Good news. While it feels as though you are forsaken of God, because his Christ was, you are not and won't be. I know just how you feel. People say it. You've said it. No one says it to be mean. People want to mean it. But it isn't always true. We do not understand everything that someone else has been through or is going through. We have different temptations. We have different disappointments. We have different pains. There are indeed times when we are convinced with some certainty that no one understands. When were you in a point of pain all alone? You weren't, and you won't be. Jesus, true God and true man, is with you. And he knows, he understands, he joins you. He joined human suffering, tempted by Satan, betrayed by his friends, thought to be crazy by his family, crushed by the crowd, abandoned in his hour of suffering. Tonight we contemplate him experiencing deprivation to its most fundamental and elemental core. I am thirsty. Jesus understands human suffering. Jesus understands your suffering. He understands and has experienced the fallout of sin in a very personal way. In the book of Hebrews, we hear, 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He suffered. And he invites you in your suffering and sorrow to hold on to him who does understand. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He understands. Cast your cares on me, for I care for you. He understands. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. He understands. It's good to know He knows. Good, better, best. This is the best word. In the original language, it is just one word. Finished. The best word. This is a better word than the earlier word of paradise. This is a better word because it doesn't just hold out the destination. It grants assurance that the fair is covered. All of it. Every bit of it. Done. Complete. Finished. Too often in our religious life, we inadvertently signal and too often conclude that we must still get qualified for the kingdom. Decide enough, pray enough, read our Bibles enough, give enough, walk little old ladies across the street enough, be religious enough. And not just that we must, but that we can. That's pride. Pride adheres. I have to. I need to. And the worst, I can. Human pride. In his death, Jesus puts pride to death. In his death, Jesus puts meritoriousness to death. In his death, Jesus puts religion to death. It doesn't depend on you. It can't depend on you. It depends on Jesus. And this is the best word. You can depend on him. Finished. Jesus has paid it all. All. We only do what is really nothing to do, but only to receive what has been done for us. Believe. Believing is the antithesis of doing. Faith is the antithesis of work. Finished. That's the thing. That's the word. The best word. The worst part of a good book is the ending. Or better, that it ends. You've enjoyed the book. You've learned from the book. You've experienced much from the book. You've gotten to know the characters. And then you reach the worst part. The end. The end of the story. The end of the characters. The end of the experience. After we hear the best of the good words, 
Jesus utters one more good word for him and for us. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished is not the end. It is the beginning of a good ending that has no end. Into your hands I commit my spirit. As Jesus' spirit and body are ripped apart, he is forever and always safe in the Father's hand. The experience of the cross has come to an end. They take his body down and put it in the grave. But this end is only beginning because Sunday is coming. Jesus will be the first fruits of the new creation. And in the new creation that is the resurrection, there will be no end. We hear this again. Stephen, the first in a long line of Christian martyrs whose long line continues to lengthen yet today, likewise says, into your hands I commit my spirit. The ending of Jesus' death on the cross, the end that Stephen came to, the end that you will come to, is in Jesus the end of the beginning that has no end. You will be as Jesus is, as Stephen is, as all who have fallen asleep in Christ are, forever safe in the eternal hands of your Creator. That is good and for good.